she does not know her beauty. She thinks her brown body has no glory. If she could dance naked under palm trees and see her image in the river, she would know. But there are no palm trees on the street and dishwater gives back no images. Mm, mm, mm. Once riding in old Baltimore, head filled, heart filled with glee, I saw a Baltimorean keep looking straight at me. Now I was eight and very small and he was no whit bigger and so I smiled. But he stuck out his tongue and called me nigger. I saw the whole of Baltimore from May until December. Of all the things that happened there, that's all that I remember. Mm, 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 mm. Thank you. Thank you. and women, you honor me greatly. I am delighted. I'm delighted to be in such uh, highfalutin company. <laughs> I mean, those faces in the program are enough to bring all of us to a serious and steady and unrelenting attention. Their achievements are magnificent. However, to be in your presence, in the presence of you young men and women, who are just starting, just beginning. You think you've done wonders, and indeed you have, but you're just beginning. To be in your company thrills me, and I use the word advisedly. Literally, I am thrilled to see you, and to know that in fact you might be the one. One of you here might be the one to find the, that mysterious and elusive answer to cancer, to AIDS, to muscular dystrophy. One of you might in fact find out how we in our country might become true friends in South America. One of you, or two or 10 of you, might find how we can eradicate this blight of racism which has so affected us. I am in your company, I feel as humble as if I'm able to walk around in the palms of any of your hands. Either of you, one of you, five of you, 10 of you might help to find an, an answer, bring some peace to the Middle East, bring some peace to Ireland. One of you will help us eradicate this blight of poverty and homelessness in our rich and wonderful and abundant country. One of you. So when I see you and you see me drop my head, it is because I feel humble in your presence. Those first two poems were written by Waring Cooney and by uh, County Cullen, two black male poets writing in the 30s. They are classic little pieces of poetry, perfect little teardrops of diamonds of poetry. 
However, when one looks into the poem, one sees that these two men, writing in the 20s and 30s, used their genius to extract from uh, the unknown, which is creativity, to extract from it this particular question. And the question is, am I worth it? Me. Me. Me, Maya. Me, Charles. Me, Stephen. Me, Tony, with an I. Me, Michelle, with two L's. Am I worth it? The, uh, the today and your acceptance, your choice, the fact that you've been chosen to come, that fact that some of the greatest minds in our country have come and will come to speak and be here for you, tells me that you already think you are worth it. And I'm glad of that. Most of you will go on to university. Your first year, you will meet people prettier, cuter, sweeter, nicer, and you'll think even brighter than you are. And that, when you come to that confrontation, young men and women, you will need to know that no matter what you face, no matter what the, the challenge of the future, which is yours and yours alone to face, not your parents, not your friends, not the family members, not your past teachers or your present teachers, but yours alone to face, you must know I am worth it. You must know that. Sometimes it will be very difficult. I grew up in, the, as the, I, it was said when I was introduced, in, a, in Arkansas, I grew up in a town in Arkansas smaller than the exposed part of this stage. <laughs> and I was small and strange because I stopped talking from the time I was seven and a half until I was 12 and a half. I was known to be weird, but um, black Americans didn't call me weird. Uh, people would see me in the road. My grandmother owned most of the land behind the town, most of the land the poor whites lived on, most of the land the blacks lived on, and the only black-owned store in the town. And so people had many reasons to be angry with Mama, since Mama was severe. She had no, her, her, her levels, her, her measurements were none or excess. She had no place in between. Mama was very severe or very, very kind. So people disliked my grandmother. I understand that. Uh, they'd see me in the street and say, mm-mm, it's a shame Sister Henderson's California granddaughter done gone mental. <laughs> or, mm-mm, shame Sister Henderson's California granddaughter, you know. <laughs> So uh, they didn't actually say I was weird, but I was pretty weird. And to, I understand that. However, Mama explained to me all the time, Sister, Mama don't care what these people say about you being a idiot, about you being a moron. Mama know when you and the good Lord get ready, Sister, you're going to be a preacher. I used to sit there and think, poor, ignorant mama. <laughs> I mean, really. Mm. 
will never speak. What does she mean, preach? Oh, what a shame and disappointment Mama has in store for her. Last week, I gave the uh, principal speech, the keynote address at the International Systems, Human Systems Organization conference in Zermatt last week, in English and in French. And I thought about Mama and this little town in Arkansas and people saying, mm -hmm. and I just wish, I mean, I don't want to say I have any, you know, that I, 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 I wouldn't like to brag or anything. I just wish all of them had been there. <laughs> and I went on to London where last year I was the most popular writer for the last two years in Britain and the featured poet at the Edinburgh Festival. And I was asked to come back to host Mrs. Mandela a few days ago in Atlanta at a lunch. And now to come here, young men and women, it is important for you to know that you are worth it. In fact, all of your lives have already been paid for. It is imperative that you know that. Singly know it. It is wonderful to be a part of this marvelous group, but each of us is always and finally and painfully alone at certain times of our lives. And when we're young, we, we, we can never be so alone again as we are when we are young. So in your aloneness, know that you have already been paid for. Whether the ancestors came from Ireland in, a hunt in 1840s, 1850, trying to escape the potato blight, whether they came from Eastern Europe, trying to escape the pogroms, whether they came from Asia in the 1850s to build a country, to build the railroads, un not allowed legally to bring their mates for eight decades, whether they came from South America, trying to find a better place, a better land so that they could make a better life, a better lives for themselves and their progeny, whether they came from Africa lying spoon fashion in the filthy hatches of slave ships. They have already paid for you without any chance of ever knowing what your faces would look like, what personalities you would carry, what, what dreams, what magnificent breakthroughs you would make. You have already been paid for. So in your silence, in your solitude, it is imperative that you know when you face the, the uh, microscope, which doesn't reveal immediately your request, when you look at the yellow pad, if you're trying to write a piece of poetry, and know that all you've got to do is get some nouns, pronouns, a few adjectives, some, ad, some adverbs, and so forth, and they won't come together for you. No matter what you do, when you are absolutely alone, go inside yourselves, I encourage you, and understand that you have already been loved. And then all you have to do is prepare yourselves. Always prepare yourselves so that you can go out 
and pay for someone who is yet to come. Some years ago, I had a play in uh, a film. I had written a screenplay, and it was to be shot in Sweden. I wasn't allowed to direct the play because there had been no black female directors before. So, I mean, that was a good enough reason, it seemed. So I went to Sweden, and uh, I wrote, I composed the music. Now, my problem with composing is I, I have no training in composition. But I can hear. So I would take a pitchfork and sing uh, 16 bars of the piano part as I heard it. Click, turn it off. Put that into a paper sack. Then I would do the cello. Put that in the paper sack. So in the end, I would have two shopping bags. My score was in two shopping bags, which I would then take to a transcriber, and he or she would transcribe it and put it down, and it looked so formal and nice. And then I went to the orchestra, people who would, who would uh, played the music. And they said things like, you can't have a, you can't flat a third here, you can't have an augmented fifth. And I would think, no, really? <laughs> um, would you play it? Play it. They said, but it doesn't, it doesn't scan. I'd say, play it. And somehow the music got played, and somehow they admired it, and somehow the, the film was shown in New York, and when it was shown, it was shown to a group of black, particularly black American intelligentsia, etc. And people either loved it or hated the movie. After it was over, people said, boo, when my name was called. Or else they said, hooray, she's the greatest. I didn't deserve either because I had not directed it. So the next morning, I called Stockholm, the Svenska Film Institute, and asked if I could take a course in cinematography. I was accepted that day, and that night, I flew back to Stockholm and took a course in cinematography in Swedish, in Sweden, in the winter. <laughs> and as a result, I'm the first black female director in Hollywood. I really meant to make you laugh a lot when I came up here, but I, I, even in this gloom, I see the brightness of your faces. And you delight my heart. So, I am a grandmother now, to the best, the most wonderful. Fortunately, I don't have to brag or lie. He is the best in the world, <laughs> grandson. And I imagine him sitting here in three or four years. <laughs> I do. I see him so. As I see all our grandchildren, and I see your children sitting here in 20 years. For you see, young men and women, the charge upon you is no small matter. It really is 
no matter what field you're interested in, no matter what discipline catches your fancy and, uh, and your intelligence. The real problem, the real charge upon you is to make this country more than it is today, more than what James Baldwin called these yet to be United States. That is the charge. If you go through a microscope to find it, wonderful. A set of drums to find it, marvelous. A, a platform where you will be teaching at the university or in kindergarten, marvelous. Whatever you do, remember, since life is our most precious gift, and since as far as we can be absolutely certain, it is given to us to live but once, let us so live we will not regret years of useless virtue and inertia and timidity and blithering ignorance. And in dying, each of us can say, all my conscious life and energies have been dedicated to the most noble cause in the world, the liberation of the human mind and spirit, beginning with my own. Thank you. Time for questions. I've okay. talked too long. Oh. But at least know that I am oh, grateful to you, and I look to you, and that I love you. Why, I hope talk too long for any of us. We could sit here and listen to you forever. The people of Arkansas might not have been here, but we were all glad that we were here today to be with you. Thank you so very much for sharing your talents with us.